Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert, Experts on Expert. I'm Dak Shepard. Hello, Monica Padman. Hello, Dak Shepard. You're in a stunning orange toad ahead. Pangaya. Pangaya. And my nails match. Yeah. Orange is your color. I know purple's your color, but <laughs> orange, boy, does it make the skin pop, pop, pop. Thank you. Now, listen, upon popular request, we were urged to have a religious person on to, you know, Share a different side. Yes, because often I'm spewing my atheistic... Take on things. Nihilistic, terrible view of life. Well... And there's no one there to rebuttal about what the Christians feel like. So we were urged to find someone, and Nadia was suggested to us. And by George, do we love her. Yeah, she was awesome. Nadia Boltz-Weber is a three-times New York Times bestselling author a Lutheran minister and public theologian. She is an ordained Lutheran pastor, founder of House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado. Her books are Shameless, A Sexual Reformation, Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong People, and Pastrix, The Cranky Beautiful Faith of a Sinner and a Saint. Nadia's podcast is called The Confessional, and it features ugly confessions from beautiful people. She is all kinds of fun, and we love talking to her. It was a very cool conversation, so different than our normal ones. It really was. It was fantastic. So please enjoy Nadia Boltz-Weber. We are supported by Uber Eats. Spring is here, and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, no. A box of fine wines, yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. He's an First of all, I just want to thank you for doing our podcast. I think you mentioned like on one of the episodes you wanted to talk to someone in religion and then a shit ton of people tagged me on Instagram and they're like, talk to Nadia. Yeah. People who are not religious, I'm their religion person. <laughs> like, yeah. Like you're that. the anti-religion religious yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. But I'm very proud of my atheist readership. That's my shiny little trophy. Uh, yeah, I'm going to quote some of the stuff I saw you speak on in, in learning about you that mm. is incredibly profound and transcends all that stuff. But it really came about because I'm an outspoken atheist. Lots of our listeners are religious and 
many of them have said, you know, it'd be cool if eventually when you said that shit, someone had a response, which I totally agreed with. So I, I guess I just want to declare to you what my intention is. Sure. Which is, I'm not the type of atheist that wants anyone to stop believing in God. Monica and I have a couple of really close friends that I can see Jesus in their life. I, yeah. I'm not denying it. Like, yeah. I can see that for them, it's it's really, really cool. If I have a single ulterior motive, it's really just to find out how you navigate certain areas of it that, that would be very hard for me to navigate. For sure. That sounds fun. Okay, great. <laughs> and also, I, I equally am not the kind of Christian who people want to come to me and explain why they don't go to church. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, I don't care. <laughs> like, I, I just, <laughs> yeah. to, like, I don't have a dog in that fight at all. You don't get a year-end bonus with more people <laughs> exactly. signed up. Exactly. Membership. Even when I was a parish <laughs> pastor, you know, I found it interesting what people believed in my parish, but I didn't feel responsible for what they believed right. at all. Like what you believe has to do with a million things I have nothing to do with. Well, I thought maybe we could start with what I, I interpret as similarities between you and I in that we're, we're both scumbag addict alcoholics. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that could make us closer than anything could make yeah. two people close. Yeah. Right? No, I'm definitely a garbage person. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're 28 years sober this year. Yeah. Wow. Oh congratulations. God. That is so impressive. Between um, my boyfriend and I, I think we have. I'm not so great at the math, but he also has. I think he has 29 years. 29 wow. years. Okay. So that is Isn't that uh, that's 57. 57 cumulative years. That's Isn't that math. Great job. You'd think we'd be more mature if you do the math you're like wow you're in the fifth dimension right and i'm like no <laughs> no still a garbage person <laughs> sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i guess i try to explain to people like oh it has fixed nothing my first thought is still when my daughter's crying like fucking a i gotta get up and i gotta step over all my shittiness and then i get to the point where i go stand up and go look and then i do it and, and but that's all it, it taught me to stand up and go look it didn't yeah. keep me from being a self-centered idiot yeah well my, my friend said we really suffer from a disease called first thought wrong. Oh, like, that's, that's great. Really great. Yeah. <laughs> I might go further and go like first, second, third thought exactly. wrong for me. I'm like progress is like, I'll go half, half. Exactly. Like, oh, there's the right answer. Well, I mean, even after all that program, sobriety, therapy, I do Enneagram. I don't know if you're into that personality mm. stuff. Even after all that, my first reaction to almost everything is fuck you. Now, I almost never stay there, but I pretty much always start there. But the time that, that elapses between starting there and going somewhere and responding from a different place is shorter. Yes, but, yes. But I didn't get a personality transplant. I still have the same wiring, yeah. you know. We interviewed Bill Gates on Tuesday. He always warms up for me. <laughs> Prior to going into talk to him, I had to have like a real long lecture with myself, which is like, this is not your opportunity to try to prove to him you're smart and get his approval. That is not what this is uh, about. Yeah, like, totally. you got to enter this. Like, he's so much smarter than you. Get off that thought. Just yeah. don't do not do that. So it ended. I'm in my bedroom and I actually have this moment where I go, oh, I'm really proud of myself. I stayed humble and I didn't do the thing I was afraid of. I wonder if we'll win a Peabody for that interview. <laughs> 
And then I started oh laughing oh hysterically. Because <laughs> totally. I'm like, look at you, man. You're yeah. complimenting yourself on your humility. And then literally, you're now you think maybe you'll win a Peabody. And I shared that then the next night at a meeting. I was like, the gift is I laughed out loud Correct. immediately. Totally. Whereas oh, yeah. 15 years ago, I would have planned that Peabody for a good two hours. Your acceptance speech, what you're going to wear. <laughs> all of who it. I'm mad at. Totally. Exactly. Who you resent, <laughs> who you're going to think. Yeah. Well, I, so my equivalent is one of my closest friends. Friends. Her name was Rachel Held Evans. She died a little over a year ago. And she's also a writer and speaker in progressive Christian circles. And a, a dear friend, we started a conference we ran for years together. During the Obama administration, when she announced that she was invited to the White House prayer breakfast, my very first thought was, why wasn't I invited to the White House prayer breakfast? My, my second thought was, who the fuck thinks that? <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> what yeah, kind yeah. of person's like, why wasn't I invited to the White House? Yeah. So I laughed at myself so fast. Yeah. I love that we have that in common. And then just to give people kind of a brief history of, of your life, million people love you, which they all reached out. So most people know this, but you're from Colorado. You had some addiction. You got sober. You became an author. You are three times New York's bestseller. And then you, you ended up becoming a Lutheran minister and then you founded House for All Sinners and Saints, is a congregation of Evangelical Lutheran Church in Denver. So how do you get from getting sober to, to, to occupying that role? So I was raised a super fundamentalist Christian, like kind of wackadoodle, sectarian. We went to church three times a week. Women weren't allowed to pray out loud in front of men, couldn't preach, couldn't be ushers. Even the whole thing about women not having authority over men was taken so seriously that when we turned 12, our Sunday school teachers were always women up until that point. And then we had a man as a Sunday school teacher because 12-year-old boys had more authority than grown women in the church house. Oh my gosh. Wow. And we were the only Christians. Like we really believe we're the only Christians. And so people would be like, hey, is, is your new friend Stacy a Christian? And I'd have to be like, no, she's a Baptist. And so it was that kind of deal. But it's all I knew. And of course you don't know your childhood's crazy till you meet other people. And then mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that's not normal. I left that church when I was probably 16, 17 years old. And I couldn't have anything to do with Christianity. I hated it. Can I ask a really personal question? Yeah, you can Was ask Was there me any anything. trauma that preceded the departure? Okay, I had some trauma, but I had nothing to do with the church. I was just a really sick kid. I had an autoimmune disorder. It caused my eyes to bulge out. I could see white all around the iris. My eyelids couldn't close. So my oh. eyes are bulged out of my face and I couldn't have surgery till I was like 16. Not Graves' disease it is or Graves? Grave. It yeah, is okay, Graves. okay. But kids don't get Graves' disease, so it went undiagnosed for a long time. I had all this alienation. And when I get to high school, the only people who seemed to in any way think I was cool were the gay boys. Like, they loved me. What happened was when there's a difference between what I'm told is true or what I'm told to believe is true and what I experience to be true, there's a problem. I was told homosexuality is an abomination and that, you know, all this stuff. But then I go to high school and, and they thought I was fabulous. And it was my <laughs> first experience of people thinking I was cool or even wanting to hang out with me. And it was love, right? These boys loved me and I loved them. And so what I was experiencing to be true was very different than what I taught was true. And mm -hmm. I'm going to pretty much go with my experience if that happens. And also, 
I was told, you know, women had to, couldn't have authority over men, but I'm like, but hold on, why am I smarter than my male Sunday school teacher then? You know, like stuff stuff just didn't work. So I left and I hated it. I didn't know any other form of Christianity existed. And I just thought it was damaging and irrational. Fundamentalism is something that is hard to leave, but it's hard to leave in more than one way because it gives you really dualistic thinking. Like it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. gives you this, like there's good and bad, right and wrong, black and white. People are saved or they're lost. It forces you to be a compartmentalizer because there's, you, exactly you're being right. confronted with reality and you're learning another thing. And then you're just really getting good at having multiple personalities virtually. Right. You have to pretend things are true when you're experiencing them not to be true. It's easier to leave a fundamentalist church than it is to leave the thinking it gave you. And yeah. so I I ended up becoming this super hardcore leftist activist, but with really the same kind of thinking. Either you're down with the cause or you're against, uh, I mean, I was involved in this like crazy armed land rights battle in Northern New Mexico. <laughs> and, oh, and, wow. I mean, it was just, it was not Armed land battle. Okay. But it was the same mentality and uh, in a way. And so I've had so much distance from it now that when I had a parishioner maybe five, six years ago, say, who was just coming out of fundamentalism and which she would get so triggered and angry every time she saw something from one of her Christian friends on Facebook, like one of their stupid memes, she'd just get, she'd get so angry. And she said, Nadia, you don't seem angry about it anymore. She goes, when did you know you were free from that? And I realized I was free <laughs> from it when I could look back on my religious upbringing and not view it dualistically, when I could allow myself to admit there were beautiful things Mm -hmm. about my upbringing and that didn't feel like a betrayal of the part of me that the shitty things hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I was free. That's when I left fundamentalism. Boy, man, you're you're, you're striking on such a larger issue, which is just binary thinking versus nuance and gray. And life is almost 99% nuance and gray. Totally. (laughs) It's harder for us to understand. I mean, we think categorically, and so we just want to put things in the right category all the time, which really is a matter of survival. Like you had to look at a plant and you're like, is that dinner or is it poison, right? Mm. You couldn't be like, is it a shade of poison and maybe partially (laughs) dinner, right? You couldn't do it. Is it psilocybin? It's poison and it's gray? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, (laughs) So that was sort of my journey. So what happened was when I got sober, I kept hearing like, you got to do the God thing, the prayer thing. Like that's kind of how it works. And I realized I didn't really ever stop believing in God ever. That didn't go away the whole time. I still love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't stand the church. And so I think that the theological non-specificity of the 12 steps is what allowed me to find a theological specificity that met me where my experience was, if that makes Uh, sense. So I discovered Lutheran theology is just really different than other Christian theology because it's based in paradox. It's not based in that dualistic thinking. It's based in like holding really difficult things in tension together. So you gave a eulogy or something? Yeah. So I was kind of dipping my toe back into Christianity, but in this more social justice oriented kind of liberal Lutheranism. So I was going to church and a good friend of mine named PJ Moore, I was also doing stand up just because I couldn't afford 
board therapy. And so I just, sure. <laughs> it was, I'd rather make $30, you know, emceeing a set as comedy works and work my shit out that way. Sure. I had, uh, I was part of this home group, this 12 step group that uh, my friend PJ, he was a comic and he was a member of that group. And we were really good friends. And, you know, he struggled a lot with mental illness issues. And he kind of lost the battle, you know. So um, mm-hmm. he ended up dying by suicide. And when he died, all of our friends just kind of turned to me. And they're like, well, you can do his funeral, right? I hadn't been to seminary. I was just literally the only religious person in my friend group. So uh-huh. they assumed you could do it. And so I was like, I guess. So I gave his eulogy and it was at the Comedy Works in downtown Denver, packed house. And I just looked at it at the crowd. It was like comics who were really trying to not show any emotion because it's like, you know, social Darwinism runs very deep in the green room. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, academics and recovering alcoholics and queers. And I just look out at this sea of people and I'm standing there and I'm like, these are not church folks, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't have a pastor. And then I was like, oh, shit. I think that's supposed to be me. Like Uh it it really was this like, these people need somebody to pastor them. And then when I thought, oh, I think that's me, that set me on my path. So like my like so-called like call to ministry, it was not generic. I I wanted to be a pastor to my people. And then what was the education that you then took on? Well, I ended up getting a degree in religion from CU Boulder, and then Mm -hmm. I have a master's of divinity from Iliff School of Theology. Is there a process, though, whereby you get certified for Lutheranism? It's extensive. You have to have a graduate degree in theology, and then you have to work as like a hospital chaplain for a while, and then you have to do a year of internship, and then there's a body of people, this committee that's walking with you the whole time. And at each point they decide, do you get to go to the next point? Mm. Right. Uh-huh. And th- so it's, it's not the easiest thing. And so when people are like, oh, I'm ordained to universal life. Cause you know, I, I did my friend's wedding. I'm like, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like I, do you know how many years of education and training and like a group that represents another group of millions of people had to like check me all the way. And I have a bishop and, you know, apostolic succession, the bishop laid hands on me, you know, all of this stuff. You yeah. had a credit card transaction. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to see them as comparable, knock your yourself out, but I feel like you're asking a lot of me to see it as comparable. You you were watching Game of Thrones while you went through the online course (laughs) and you, and you didn't miss any of the plot. So (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. And I'm just now I'm, I'm catching up. It's so stupid. I I didn't think of this, but Lutheranism is Martin Luther, right? And he led the big right break away from Catholicism. Yeah. So my church, House for All Sinners and Saints, that I started, uh, our church logo is like a piece of parchment with a nail at the top, like 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church. And so ah. we used to have shirts that that had that on the front and on the back. It said radical Protestants nailing shit to the church door since 1517. Oh, <laughs> that, that, was that was our church shirt. Yeah. Okay, so... I watched a video of yours today. You read this passage, and it's about these emperors, basically. And then you started thinking in terms of what did those people really feel when that was written? What were they experiencing? And you and you said what they're experiencing was basically oppression from these these people, these monarchs. And you asked your own parishioners what things they felt oppressed by or uh, subjugated by. And, and overwhelmingly, it was depression and anxiety and these different things. And then you go on to say, and this gave me chills. You said, these guys, Pontius Pilate and whoever else, 
are only remembered because they are a footnote to a man named Jesus who hung out with fishermen and sex workers. And that's why they're remembered. They're a footnote to someone more important. And your anxiety is a footnote to your life. And your boss is a footnote to your life. And I got chills mm. and I'm getting them now. Look, Monica, yeah. full-blown goosebump. I'm like, what a fucking kick-ass interpretation yeah. of yeah. that. And so I immediately was like, that's kind of my introduction to what you think and how you're approaching this whole mm -hmm. thing. Now, here's where I'm confused. So to me, you're wading through so much stuff to pull out what is good about it. Yes, you did find something that's so inspiring and so beautiful, but man, you had to pull it out of that text. And I'll also argue you had to ignore so much of the text in getting to the things that you would want other people to embrace. Yes. And so my question is, why aren't there, among the many like-minded people like you, why, why would it be impossible for you to get together and amend the fucking constitution you guys have? Like <laughs> the, the, we had a constitution and it had slavery in it. And you know, at some point we said slavery's bullshit and we amended the constitution. We didn't leave it in there and just go, oh, mm -hmm. skip that part. We amended it. Why don't you guys get together and, and, and pull out what's great of, <laughs> from that book and, and find some consensus and just ditch all the, the misogyny, the, the slavery, for sure, the, for sure. yeah. the homophobia, the patriarchal, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much stuff. I, right. Help me yeah. understand why that's not an option. Well, Thomas Jefferson did that. Did you know that? Oh, no. Yeah, he just literally just cut all the shit out he didn't like. There's the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Yeah, okay, so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's not an unheard of instinct. But also the thing about the Bible is it's like the world's most fucked up family album, right? So, okay, we could say Uncle Lester, the molester, we don't want him in there anymore. But if we do that, we don't know what to look for in the next generation, right? To me, to say, hey, there's all that shit in there. All of that is just the disaster of human behavior and greed and hatred, right? So I don't want to forget it. You know, kind of like in the Psalms, there are Psalms that are beautiful and praising God for the Leviathan, the sea monsters, like it's all good. It's all, you know, beautiful. But then there are Psalms where it's like, I want to bash my enemy's baby's heads against the stones, you know, and people are like, oh, they're so violent. I'm like, you haven't, you've never thought a violent thing. Like that's not somehow part of your makeup. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's about this incredible breadth of the human experience when it comes to ourselves and to trying to understand the divine. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that all of it's good. A lot of it is absolutely garbage. But mm -hmm. here's like something that the Constitution and the Bible have in common is the way people leverage it to their own advantage and pretend that's not what they're doing. So yeah. constitutional originalists who are like, hey, it's not me. This is just what the founders wanted. This is what the people who drafted the Constitution intended. So it's not my interpretation. I'm like, oh, it just happened to benefit the category of citizen you are. That's a yeah. fucking coincidence. Tr yeah. Show me a black female jurist who's a constitutional originalist. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a thing. Same with the Bible. You know, people do the same exact thing. In my upbringing, they're like, hey, this is not about us. The men who were preaching and teaching us to behave a certain way. I had to go to Christian charm class. 
You can tell that fucking worked like a charm. Yeah, so they I find it to be. Charming as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so they're saying, hey, it's not us. This is God's will. And they're like, so go make me a burger, right? So like, yeah, yeah. The, the reason I'm still in the game, the reason I won't leave is because scripture Liturgy, theology, these things are way too potent to be left in the hands of people who only use them to justify their dominance over another group of people. Yes. And look, I'm very, very grateful that you're a voice in Christianity for that exact reason. But let me try to transpose something more current that I would say arguably sounds like a similar defense is the Civil War generals that are you know, decorating many town squares across America. I feel like the argument you're making is a little similar to those people saying, well, if we mm. get rid of those statues, we're getting rid of sure. the history, to which I would argue, no, what we've done is stop celebrating them. They're not going to be absent from the war chronicles. And similarly, I would say to you, that book is worshipped. It's not, it, the book isn't the history of Western civilization. It is a, a religious text that people read before bed and they read to their children and their children it's a teaching tool. And so I'm I'm a little nervous that mm -hmm. it's not in the context that I would prefer it to be. Like, yeah, look at right. all the gnarliness of humanness. Look at all the, look sure. at the patriarchy. Look at this. Right, for sure. But I would say, using your analogy, it's to say, look, we're not going to inscribe the bash babies' heads against the stones psalm on a plaque and then have that in our public square. Okay. We're not going to take it out of the book, just like we're not going to take what the uh, Confederacy was about out of the textbooks, right? right we're not going right. to remove that, but we're not going to worship it. And you're right. You use the right word. People worship the Bible. And there's a there's a theological term for that. It's called idolatry because the Bible's not God. Well, yeah, that could be another three-hour conversation with you and I. That there's just a notion that a man wrote it. And that yeah. a man is, is the, the, the man who wrote it is recalling what he learned in a nine-hour mm -hmm. seminar. You couldn't put 25 people in a room, give them a half-hour speech, get them out of the room, have them write it down, and get anything above 20% accuracy. Sure, of course. That's its own concerning issue, but. I do think that there's something inspired to it, but that doesn't mean God, you know how the presidents to sign their name they have that little machine that does it does the thing <laughs> oh it's i not know like, oh yeah there's a way that you you can have your autograph with a pen and it does it oh like, yeah okay. it's so, like been mechanized yeah okay and there's a fancy word for it i don't know what it is but it's not like that kind of transcription system it's people struggling with their experience of themselves and their ideas of God and inspiration all at the same time. So it's always going to be a mix of those things. And so uh -huh. to me, again, as a Lutheran, I just have a different view of the Bible than most Christians do because that term, like the word of God, right? Uh -huh. To Lutherans, that term means Jesus. That's the word of God is Jesus. The prologue to John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So to Lutherans, we're like, that's the word of God. It's a person that we can read about, talk about, preach about, sing about, like that's the word. Now, secondly, the word of God is any kind of preaching or music or whatever that tells that story. And then only thirdly, in a tertiary sense, it's the text. And so Martin Luther said the Bible's the cradle that holds Christ. 
the cradle isn't Christ. That I mean, this is where right, people right, get right, super right. confused. So they confuse the wrapping and the gift, you know? Right. And so to me, anything in there that talks about grace and forgiveness and all the stuff that that whole Jesus thing was about, that has more gravity. That has more authority than anything else in the Bible. And then anything that comes close to that that message has more authority. Now, the farther out you get from that message, the less authority it has. And, and, and farther out, does that mean um, in, in time and space? Like No, the, the, no, the, in oh, okay. terms of what that message is. If they're okay. like, well, what do you do with the verse that says that if a man lays with another man, he should be stoned to death? I'm like, oh, so sorry. I don't have a horse in that race. Like, I don't have to, like, stand up for some shit that's way out here compared uh-huh. to the, the the central message. Yeah, I already have my answer. You do believe that's relevant and it has value and it should be in there, despite the fact that you're not going to make that part of one of your speeches. Right. It's a bummer to me that it still is weaponized by a big sector of the the country. It still is sure. th- their proof that they can stand on why marriage between two men will ruin marriage because they have this text that's camouflage for their own hangups that's all it is totally so the thing where you got goosebumps from this this message i would argue that in some way that's difficult to articulate it's because there's something in that book that when you do the work and you dig there's like something transcendent. It's it's an endless reservoir of meaning and transformation that can be found in it that you're not going to be find on Oprah's book club list. Stay tuned for more armchair expert if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. It feels like a lot has happened this year. It's barely even summer. We went to India for By George. We sure did. Lots to process already. Yeah, but even with so much going on, it's important to slow down. Take a minute to reflect on yourself and make adjustments. And if you need a little help with that, I can't recommend therapy enough. We are both in therapy. We are. We proselytize all the time. Talk about it every day. Couldn't function without it. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire. Plus, you can switch therapists whenever for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dax. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. (gasps) I knew you did that. (laughs) No, I did not do that. (laughs) I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, terms apply. We are supported by Celebrity Cruises. I know what you think. As long as you're on vacation, you're happy. But the truth is, some vacations are better than others. And there's one that's better than all of them. Celebrity Cruises. With rooms, food, and service like theirs, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And you won't have to with all the places Celebrity goes. They even have weekend Caribbean escapes if you're short on time. So visit Celebrity.com, contact your travel advisor, or call 
1-800-CELEBRITY and see why nothing comes close to Celebrity Cruises. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Well, I, I had a guest on Pete Holmes. Oh, Pete. Oh, Do you Pete's know a Pete? friend of mine. Yeah, I've been on his podcast. Matter of fact, behind me right here yeah. is a still from The Simpsons. Oh, that he and, got. Yeah. yeah, an episode he wrote. And one of my books is on the table. Accidental Saints by Nadia oh, Boltzweber is wow. on the table. <laughs> That's that awesome. Amazing? And I love him. And he did make a great point when I brought up, what is the story where they uh, God wants the man to kill his son? Isaac. And Isaac, Abraham. you know, man, and I, I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> and those, all those theology degrees, man. I've been like, give me a minute. We would have edited <laughs> out the pause. We would have made you look good. Yeah. But he made a very stellar point, which is, you know, your feelings aside, you and I are talking about that story. And that's 2000 years old. So you, you got to at least respect the staying power of it, which, which I totally do. But clearly... <laughs> There's some because magic there. I would say because it's true. Now, hear me out. <laughs> the reason we are still telling these stories is because the stories are true. Now, here's something the Enlightenment stole from us is the ability to distinguish between fact and truth. So if somebody says, do you think it's a fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, like a medical fact? I'm like, Fuck, is it a fact? That's unknowable. Is it true? It's absolutely true. Help me I don't, out. Yeah, go a little further. What's the like, yeah. like, to me, that sounds a little bit like I do recognize there are emotional truths that are yes. often in opposition to empirical facts. I recognize that. And a big part of our life is, is emotional and spiritual, so it has to be given the same weight. That's right. I, that, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is that there is truth to these stories. There's a spiritual truth to them. And when people get hung up on, but is, the, is it verifiably factually true? We weren't even thinking about verifiable factual truth until about 20 minutes ago in humanity, right? You know, the scientific method and human reason and all that shit that the Enlightenment, hey, I'm a fan of penicillin. Like, I'm not saying it was bad for us, but yeah. I'm just saying Charles Taylor said it, it, the Enlightenment gave with one hand and stole with the other. So there mm. are things that it took from us. And so fundamentalism did not exist before the Enlightenment. Fundamentalism is literally a reaction to the Enlightenment. Right. Are you anti-Enlightenment? No. I think that there are things that it gave and things it took away. Because now, after the Enlightenment, if we have a way of understanding reality, like scientific, the scientific method, verifiable mm -hmm. facts, things like this, now that human reason has been elevated in that way, then these other things that we know are true in terms of religion, now in order for us to still think they're true, we have to believe they're fact in the same way. That idea of a literal seven-day creation thing, creationism, yeah. that's, that's this weird mix of like the Enlightenment telling us there's only one way to understand what's true. Uh -huh. But then would we say that what's true is subjective versus what's factual is objective? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know that I have an answer for that. Yeah, that is a really good question. I, I just have a few thoughts that in order to lay them out correctly, I was I wanted to write them down this morning. So here's one thing I, I thought. Do you think the blind eye we turn towards the gnarly parts of the Bible is easy for us to do because we've been conditioned through having parents who are deeply flawed and may have hurt us, but who we love deeply? 
Do you think our willingness to accept this misogynistic, xenophobic, scientifically inaccurate, geologically impossible text is sad in that it's sad we've been trained to accept that because we desire the love of our father or God that much? Isn't this one big abusive relationship? Shouldn't we reject the love of someone who would ask us to kill our son to prove our love and commitment to him? Isn't that pathological? Okay. There's a lot in I, there. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I guess my question of that story is less like, what kind of God is it that would ask this? And more, what is it within humans that makes us believe that God asks this of us? So there's a truth to be found in the story but uh -huh. for me. But it's not the one I think I was taught. Yeah. But what's been explained to me in defense of that story is that, well, God didn't kill his son. And that when he proved his love and devotion to God, of course, God would never let him kill his son. And he didn't. But mm -hmm. I'm not very satiated with that answer. That's still mm -hmm. a very vain God who wants to test your love and has clearly shown there's conditions to his love. Right. And and that is so similar to to, to our flawed parents we all have. And, and I'm totally, sure my kids totally. will feel the same way about me. And I just, I get yeah. worried that we're like conditioned to ignore what we know. Like you were saying, you, you know, like the, the reality is not meeting up with what you're being taught. And I think sadly, we're pretty conditioned to be that way. Yeah. Do you know who Dave Javerbaum is? Uh-uh. He is God on Twitter. The tweet oh. of God. Yeah. Yes. He had a show on Broadway that was called, oh gosh, it was basically... God offers new t new commandments. Uh, like he has some Did Sean holdovers. Hayes star in it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, saw it. Yes, I saw yes. it. Okay. I saw it. Yep. So one of the most brilliant, there's a term called exegesis, which is where you take a text in the Bible and you just dig the shit out of it. Like you kind of go, what is this word? What is that? You look for, what's the interpretation? You just go to town with, could it mean this? Could it mean that? And he's an atheist. I mean, I've hung out with the dude. He's an atheist, but he had to me, the most astounding interpretation, exegetical approach to this Isaac story, Isaac and Abraham story. I don't know if you remember, yeah. but he goes, one of the commandments was, thou shalt not seek to have a personal relationship with me. <laughs> right? This uh -huh. is evangelicals are all about their like personal relationship <laughs> with God, you know? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. So one of the new commandments, don't seek that out, right? And yeah, he goes, yeah. here's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He goes, here's why. It's for your own good. Because I had a personal relationship with one of you once, and it brought out the worst in me. So in the text, Abraham has a very particular relationship with God. They were just close. Yeah, they were just, okay. they were bros. Okay. <laughs> okay let's yeah. just say. Yeah. Okay. In Dave's interpretation, God in the play is saying, don't try and have a personal relationship with me. It brought out the worst in me because I really was close to this guy, Abraham, so much so that I said, I want to give you your heart's desire. And what Abraham and Sarah wanted more than anything in the world was to have a son. And Sarah was old. They were old, right? They were like, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And uh, an angel comes and says, no, your descendants are going to fill the land. And Sarah laughs because she's like, I got a dusty ass womb. There's no way that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's adorable, but your that's not happening. Your seed may not find right. purchase here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then they had this son, Isaac, right? And so imagine if you're elderly and you think it's never going to happen. You have this like precious son. 
one. And so God's like, yeah, I had a close relationship. And he and he goes, what do you want? And he goes, I want a son. And I gave him the thing he wanted more than anything in the world. And he loved that son so much that I started thinking, does he love that son more than he loves me? And then I did a super fucked up thing. <laughs> And right. I tested him. Like, yeah. do you love this son? Will you kill the son for me? Right. And yeah. so it was this genius telling of the story. But to me, the stories in the Bible tell us about ourselves. And if we're lucky, we get a glimpse of some kind of truth about the divine as well. Okay. So in your mind, because again, and I'm not saying this in a, a patronizing way, to me, since I don't believe that the man, Jesus Christos, was actually the son of God. I recognize there was a man here by that name who, sure. who has a history. I, I acknowledge that. Yeah. But because I don't believe he was divine, mm -hmm. and I know you do, but then I, I do recognize that you also are going to concede that the earth was probably not made in seven days. Where are you on the part where, is the God you worship that vain? that he could make a mistake? Is he all-knowing and omnipotent, but yet also got jealous of a child he created? I think God was like, oh man, you guys drive me nuts. Okay, let's see, what can I do to set this straight? And so God's like, I think I'll just make myself manifest inside rapidly dividing cells inside the womb of an insignificant Palestinian girl in the uh -huh. first century who's not married. And I'll see how they do it. Like forever, this is how I want to be known, as, you know, as like a completely powerless, vulnerable, homeless infant that has no place in our society at all. Like mm -hmm. absolutely marginalized. And God's like, this is forever how I want to be known. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's a, that, the, it, yeah. In that, if there were a God and the God chose to send his son down and he put him in that position, it would be very admirable. That's what I would hope a God would do. <laughs> I'm not that's, big enough to do that. I have children sure, and I've made money right. and I can tell you I'm not going to help them when they're older, but I'm going to fucking help them when they're older. Because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not big enough to, to, to do that. I'm too human to let them suffer. I actually don't dig the whole son of God thing, though. You don't. So Jesus is just God. Yeah. Be okay. And here's, here's the thing is when people start talking about Jesus like he's God's little boy, you know, uh -huh. it, it gets it gets. It gets very disturbing to me because it's like God is divine child abuser. So then the story is like, God had a little boy. He only had one. We don't know. Fertility issues? Not uh -huh. sure. Uh -huh. God had this little boy and he loved that little boy so much. But you know what he had to do? Because you masturbated, he had to kill that little boy. You know, it's like, oh my yeah, God, yeah, yeah. how in the world are yeah. you? Yeah. So- he, he died idea. because I put my mom's underwear on once when <laughs> exactly. I was nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's your fault and you should feel real bad. Matter of fact, you should feel so bad about the fact that you caused God to kill his little boy he loves so much that you're good. Like this is the whole yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Evangelical yeah. Christianity. God yeah. is divine child abuser trying to make you feel bad so that you'll act good. Yeah. I don't yeah. buy it. Now, it's also technically heresy. Oh, to say that he's the son of God is heresy? Not to use that term, but functionally, if people 
mostly in American evangelical Christianity, if you say God, they think God the Father. Right, the dude, yeah. dude in the sky, all the power, long beard, yeah. capricious, killer surveillance system. A Robert Grill drawing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's what they think. Then there's just a couple kind of minor supporting characters, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who are less important. Well, that's heresy. It's called Arianism, not related to the racist thing. Right. But, you know, in the, like the fourth century, it was ruled heretical. So at the Council of Nicaea, when they came up with this sort of formula for this is what Christians believe, they were like, it was all about who is Christ. And who, like, it was all about the Trinitarian thing. Yeah. And so to them, they're like, no, Jesus is God. Great. God is three things at the same time. Now talk about like paradox and not dualistic thinking that God is like relationship. Well, my, my favorite meme, I'm sure you've seen it, is a picture of Jesus praying. Have you seen this one? It's Jesus <laughs> is praying and it says, God, can you hear me? It's me, you. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But <laughs> I know like Trinitarian theology is a bit of a mental pretzel, but I like it because it keeps us from getting too prideful about knowing exactly what the divine is like. Like, I kind of like the fact that it's super puzzling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, in my judge, it's not to say that I'm judgmentless of Christians. Again, I, I am truly in support of anyone that's finding any peace and harmony and, and, and betterment through that. I, mm -hmm. I truly am. The arrogance flag gets waved when the notion that you could understand this thing. Totally. I need a God who is maybe slightly more mysterious and nimble and powerful than my ability to understand God. Yeah, right? I, yeah, like, I agree. Your problems, you, yeah, yeah, that's an AA thing. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. I need a God that's big enough to solve my problems because I can't. Yeah, <laughs> but the Trinitarian thing also, it's kind of like, I think of baseball, like if the bases, honest to God, were like one inch farther apart, they'd never score. And if the bases were like one inch closer, they'd score all the time and it would be even more boring. So I think of that with like Trinitarian theology, this idea of these three beings in relationship or three ideas or three pieces of wisdom or truths or whatever in relationship is balanced in that way. So anyway, most, I would say technically most Christians in America are heretics. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So I guess what I'm having a hard time differentiating is when you read and you're interpreting these stories and you're finding the humanity takeaways and how it's reflecting what we do on earth, what is the difference between what you're doing and then like how we'd read the Bible the same way where we don't believe in God, but we're still taking it as, you know, what's a nicer word than fable, but like these are lessons. These are lessons. And Beautiful to, teachings. Yeah, so yeah. There's definitely stuff to be learned, whether you're an atheist or you believe. And I guess for me, the people who are strong believers believe the text and it seems like you interpret the text. So I, what I don't, yeah. what is the difference between what you are doing and what we're doing? You believe in Jesus, but what does that mean? What do you believe he does hmm. for you? Or you just believe he's real? <laughs> he like, gets, we believe he was real. Yeah, he mostly gets me better parking spaces. <laughs> oh <laughs> well, man, I gotta start I would yeah. like Brian. believing yeah. for that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, once you get a gold card status, it comes oh, with the parking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> VIP all the way. I don't know. I That's a really good question uh, because 
I do believe the stuff like I'm down. Like I believe in the miracles. I believe, I believe all the crazy shit. Now it's very hard for me to like defend why I believe it because it's faith. Right. I don't yeah, 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 never sure. understood. How do you defend faith? Right. I, yeah. It's not, it's never appealed to me to even try. Yeah. And so I just get back to like the fact that I don't really care. Like when I was in my parish, I didn't care what my parishioners believed, but I cared deeply what they heard, what they heard from me. I was responsible for what they heard. And for me, their point of gravity to the whole thing is uh, grace. It, mm. That's the center point of the whole deal. If it's, if it's anything other than grace and mercy and forgiveness, then I don't think it's actually Christian. Well, and and I want to say, anyone that were to hear of Jesus's literal life and who he chose to spend time with and what the message was he said that we know for sure, I can't imagine there's a human on earth that would object to his lifestyle and his message of forgiveness (laughs) and his message of love and his message of inclusion. There's no question that that person was a Siddhartha, a, a Buddha, or, or a, you sure. know, a, one of these enlightened wonderful, being. enlightened human beings that have been here. Right. Or maybe right. not a human being, but there's no pushback for me or Monica. Or I, I can't imagine anyone on the message, the teachings, the spirit of Jesus. You know, I'm with for you sure. on that. Now, okay, I I end up speaking at a, a lot of events that aren't Christian events. So I meant like it's such an insufferable term, but thought leader gatherings. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And feminist gatherings and wellness conference, all this stuff <laughs> that's not Christian, right? They're like, bring in the token one we can handle. <laughs> we can yeah. handle. <laughs> yeah. We're guilty of that and as so, well. Yeah, exactly. I, like exactly. and I was like, I can talk to this person. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... People come up to me again. They tell me their stories about, hey, I was raised Catholic, but my mom divorced, finally divorced but my abusive dad, and then they wouldn't give her communion anymore, so I can't have anything to do with the church. I left. Or, you know, I was raised Methodist, but, uh, you know, the pastor was embezzling money, and I really looked up to him, and I was like, I can't do it. You know, I don't want anything to do with it. Not once has somebody come up to me and be like, well, you know, I was raised Christian, but then I just, one day I just realized that Jesus guy just doesn't have much to offer. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. not, yeah. not once. And so what I realized is that people don't leave Christianity because they stop believing in the teachings of Jesus. People leave Christianity because they believe in the teachings of Jesus so much, they can't stomach being part of an institution that claims to be about that and clearly isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then I just want to take one second to bond with you because I'm being adversarial, but I also don't want to bond with you because in my own life, I have an experience you're describing, which is I enjoy reading critiques of AA. I've People have sent me lots oh, of scholarly sure. critiques of AA and yeah. it does fit the definition of a cult. There is stuff I can't deny about it, right? And then for me, it comes down to like, all of that could be true, but that happens to be the thing that saved my life. And I had tried nearly every other thing. So regardless of what your academic resistance to AA is, I can only go on the fact that it saved my life. And that I also did things that I don't do, that I don't believe in. And the act of doing those things I don't believe in is actually just an act of humility, which I greatly needed. And also yeah. I couldn't solve the problem on my own. And there's some magic in there. And I don't know that I could put it into text. You know, so that's something that I'm not even threatened when people hate on AA. I'm like, yeah, I get it too, man. If I, if I were you, it would look like Scientology to me. And great. But for me, 
I'm only here because of it. So I don't know what to tell you. Right. I think the big book had uh, some kind of divine inspiration to it. I do too. But let me tell you, I am in favor of amending that book. They need to get rid of some of the language. They need to make it, in my opinion, less Christian. I mean, they're they're saying a a God of your understanding, but it is still very Christian leaning, in my opinion. Mm. I do think we should amend that book. There's Mm. some misogynistic stuff there's, you know, to the wives there's stuff that that, that <laughs> right. we could we could do better. We could we could take the same message and we could do better. Let me give you another example. I say I'm an yeah. AA. Right, right, right. I'm not right. allowed to do that. But right. I also understand that I'm doing it in 2020. And that law was written for AA in 1956. And it was Yeah, when much- there were three dozen people and like one of them goes, Hey, I got sober in AA, and then six months later they're drinking the impact to AA. When one of 36 people it's not working for, yes. it's very different. So I'm that. like you. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to find what is the real intention of that? And the intention right. of that tradition of being anonymous at the level of press and, and whatever, the intention is no person should become the symbol of AA. I shouldn't right. be the face of AA. And then when I fail, that shouldn't be an indictment of AA. And so I say I'm in AA because I'm okay with some people being mad at me to get the 25 people that listen to this show that then found themselves in an AA meeting. I'll live with mm-hmm. the 25 exactly people that maybe right. lived for the old timers I'm pissing off. I mean, the spirit of the thing or the letter of the thing. Yes. It's the same deal in with scripture. I mean, you know, Jesus had some harsh things to say about divorce, right? Well, at the time, it truly was a, a really radical way to protect women because at the time, if a man could just issue a letter of divorce whenever he wanted to. And it's not like she could go back to teaching. You know what I mean? It's a death sentence. It's a death sentence. That's right. And so a thing that was intended to be a a protection of the vulnerable, how is it weaponized against people in the church? By telling your mom who left her abusive husband, she can't have communion anymore because she got divorced. Are you fucking kidding me? Right. It's the exact opposite outcome of the intention. And, And pridefully so, right? Then they have just filled with pride about, well, you know, it, we're, we're walking the narrow path and it's not popular. No, you're not popular because you're an asshole. Don't confuse those <laughs> yeah. two things. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> now, every population of people have, have had deities. They've had a creation story. There's nothing unique. Uh, yes. We all do this, totally. right? Yes. And, and there's a, a ton of very valid now scientific evidence for the evolutionary benefit of us believing God. It it allowed us to gather in groups of large numbers, allowed us to trust other people. If we both believe in the same God, I know you're a friend. It was rewarded heavily through evolution to believe in God. Sure. Social cohesion. Yeah. It curbed people's evil desires because there were rules. Yeah, sure. And now if you're a theologian, so you look at the Judeo-Christian tradition you know, we know it comes from Mesopotamia, that area. We know that that area was between the Tigris and the Euphrates. We know that that area flooded all the time. And when it flooded, it was apocalyptic. It wasn't like a flood we'd deal with. It was life ending. You compare it to a religion that is cropping up at the exact same time in Egypt, where they live on a fertile crescent. Everything's predictable. They're not losing crops. There's no famine. Sure. Their God is far less of a fear-mongering God that needs constant appeasement, constant uh, acts of worship. And so what do you do with that info? Someone like you, where you can recognize like, oh, the environment can predict what kind of religion the people will create. And does it make you question, wow, I'm using a religion that was created in a world that was very insecure and, and I don't live in a world that's insecure. Is this the best fit anymore? Yeah, I do find it interesting 
But I think always it's going to be human beings struggling with what it means to live together, what it means to live on this planet, how we understand transcendence. It's always going to be a variety of those things. So mm-hmm. to me, it's interesting because it tells us so much about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when I think anthropologically about religion, which I oddly do a lot, it's because human beings have always been religious. Like religion has fashioned itself in endless variety, every place, every culture, every time, because there's certain I would argue there are certain just needs in the human being that have always been met through religion. And again, not to talk shit about the Enlightenment, but... um, (laughs) Steven Pinker is going (laughs) to write you a hate letter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it gave us a lot, but it didn't remove the needs that were met through religion. So this is one of the things I see as why I do my work is because... I'm interested in what are the needs that aren't getting met because people aren't going to church. And instead of saying, how can I get them to go to church or how can I make church more sexy and appealing? I'm just out there doing my work thinking this meets a religious need in people. Yeah. So I don't care if they intellectually assent to the same theological propositions I do. It doesn't matter. You just want to provide comfort and safety and community. Yeah, that's why I started my podcast, The Confessional, because I've been part of two different communities that practice some form of confession, right? 12 Steps yeah, and the Lutheran Church. Yeah. And when people in my church, they they'd avail themselves of private confession and absolution with some regularity. And it was always an honor to yeah. hear. Their, but often super boring. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Like because they I wasn't mean, spicy I, enough? No, I'd be like, they'd finish. They'd be so tense, you know, they'd finish. And I'm like, like nothing personal, but I'm super unimpressed with your sin. Like, you know, forgiveness is for everyone. So you might go out and try harder yeah. next time. Like, make make it count. Where's the underage sex? Where's the, give me some shame. This one, this one girl, her confession was something really, it was spicy. It was something really real. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was so tense at the beginning. And then afterwards she was like, relaxed. We're laughing, you know, broke the tension. And she goes, Pastor Nadia, I just want to say that I'm so glad that you're my pastor because I just know you've done a lot worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) See, it's like a little service. It's a service I offer. But knowing that's a function of religion, but most people aren't religious now, I wanted to create a place where people could talk about stuff that still haunts them, you know? Yeah. and then at the end of every episode, I write a benediction just for them. I write an original blessing that I record at the end. And so, again, where do you receive a blessing? That was a function. That was a priestly function. Uh-huh. Where do, have we substituted, like, Instagram likes? I, like, oh, where, yeah. yeah. Where do we go to receive a blessing? So I'm writing blessings for people. And so... I guess I see myself as like a public pastor in that way. I describe it as I've sort of like snuck into the cathedral and grabbed the most beautiful stuff and put it and put it out on the lawn with a free sign. (laughs) No, I think I think it's so wonderful. And I see the value you're adding to tons of people's lives. That's very clear to me. Stay tuned for more armchair expert. If you dare. We are supported by Ollie. 
I love Ollie. Yeah, they're delicious, aren't they? Yeah, it's kind of annoying because I want to eat more. Yeah, well, yes, that is the only downside of Ollie is you want to eat the whole jar. Now, as you all know, I have kids, and that means it's always about them. But look, I need some support, too, and that's where Ollie comes in. My mom uses Ollie. She does. Yeah, and she has it out on the kitchen table so she won't forget. Oh, sure. So it's like a Stay permanent core. decoration. Yeah. Well, in the same way, my Ollie sleep aid is on the nightstand next to my bed. So it, too, is a permanent There you fixture. go. So this year, I'm doing wellness on my own terms, and so can you with delicious vitamins and supplements from Ollie. Go to ollie.com, O-L-L-Y.com to discover the sleep, mood, and multivitamin supplements we take every day and get 15% off your first order by using the code SPOTIFY15. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are supported by Wayfair. It's exciting when you get your own place or even just a new space because you get to decorate it however you want. I think we forget that decorating our homes can be a form of self-expression. I don't forget. I love it. You've never forgotten. <laughs> but if you're struggling to find the right pieces, I recommend checking out Wayfair. They'll help you create a space that's all you with sofas, chairs, dining tables, wall decor, and more. Whatever you need. I'm helping a friend redecorate. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun. And we just spent a ton of time on Wayfair picking out a beautiful couch. Oh, boy. I kind of need to peruse there to stock the downstairs. They have everything. It's really great. It's time to make your dream space a reality. Every style is welcome in the Waverhood. Visit Wayfair.com or get the Wayfair mobile app. That's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R.com. Wayfair. Every style. Every home. We are supported by Viator. Now, Monica, I'm going to Lisbon. Uh, so exciting. And I'm going to use Viator because, you know, I can book a tuk-tuk tour of the city on Viator. Yeah, I feel like you can look up even other fun things you guys can do together. Yeah, absolutely. That is where you go to find an experience while you're traveling. Because no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. With over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Enjoy real travel reviews to get inside information from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. Plus, Viator offers 24-7 customer service so you know you'll get the support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking. Find travel experiences for you and do more with Viator. Now, when I was talking to my wife before I came here, I had written out a few things and I thought, I know better than to just speak. So I ran by her some of my thoughts and like she really liked the parent analogy, right? And it's funny when you have kids, you see you see how we we train them and, and it starts with Santa Claus and it's like it becomes this huge fucking conundrum when you're a parent. For me, who values honesty above all things, that was the thing I thought was missing with adults in me when I was a kid. And hmm. And I, I go, okay, so there's this guy, he comes down the chimney, red suit, lives in North Pole, sees everyone, blah, blah, blah. And I can see on this three-year-old's face, that doesn't make sense, right? And I see the yeah. best part of her punching holes through that. 
Mm-hmm. And then I find myself creating more lies to get her to believe that, well, how does he get everywhere? Oh, well, he can kind of stop time, right? So he's doing this through a long, long period. But for us, it's only eight hours at night. But for him, it's like God knows how long. And while I'm doing that, because the first child, we did it for a while until there were so many lies. I was like, now there's a fucking elf on the shelf. And if you touch the elf, then you're going to hell or he won't come back or he's got to go. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I quickly thought, Oh, this is a this is a, a little thing that we can start telling people to not listen to their intuition and to ignore the best part of their brain, the critical part that's punching holes in it and go, no, no, well, just forget about those and just believe in it because there's presence coming and there's heaven coming. And I saw the parallels and I'm like, oh, that we start them on Santa Claus because it's so immediately appealing that then the transition into, oh, yeah, there's this guy, he's his dad, he's his son, he blah, 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 he's born to a virgin, that, that we've kind of hardwired them to just ignore all that critical thinking and go with it for this ultimate prize. My wife told me when I was laying this out, she said, the thing you're ignoring is the emotional aspect of this. And you have to recognize that a lot of people like me have great anxiety. You're Not everyone's like you, like so self-assured and you're not fearful of this and that. A lot of people want a dad or they want a mother. They want someone above them that can comfort them with the anxiety that so many of us deal with just living on this planet in these cities in the way that we weren't designed to live, that you can't take that comfort away from people. Hmm. And so I recognize that and she is dead right. And I'm glad she pointed it out. And to me, I would argue, I get that from community. I get that from, if you look at people's needs, right? It's like fresh air, it's water, it's food, it's shelter, and it's fucking acceptance. Mm-hmm. It's as important. Totally. You'll die without sure. it. Yeah. But does it matter whether or not the magic of church is that community and the acceptance? I pointed out to her, we had a bunch of people over yesterday. There was this mass cohesion. Everyone was getting along. It was so wonderful. I said, did you have any anxiety during that period? She's like, no, I didn't. I go, because you were in a group. You were in a community. All was good. You were safe. Can't we get all that without the father? I think people do. I think that there's a brilliant book by Dave Zoll called Seculosity, which is basically saying, look, religion just makes you feel bad about yourself. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But in the book, he argues instead of yammering on about how much time you're spending at church so that you can feel good, you talk about how much time you spend at the gym so you can justify your existence, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, rather than only thinking clean thoughts, we're only eating clean food, mm-hmm. you know? We've just we just substituted, like, purity systems, and then we congratulate ourselves from getting away from religion, you know? I totally agree with you. <laughs> the whole original sin thing I do mm-hmm. think exists in all of us. Like, we are so prone <laughs> to that guilt and the feeling of toxicity and needing cleansing. For sure. And so where do we find that? I mean, you can find that in like a really deeply, deeply rooted uh, mythological system, sacred texts, certain liturgies, practices. One of the reasons I do like church, and I'm a liturgical person, so I go to, I I like really deeply traditional church. I didn't know, Um, I don't know liturgical. Thank you. We love new words. What is liturgical? (laughs) So have you ever been to like a Catholic mass or an Episcopal service? That's a liturgical service. So it's a liturgy. So you're singing the Kyrie and now you're going to do the Lord's prayer and and there's ritual to it. Uh And and there's parts of it that are, are unchanged. And so at House for All Sinners and Saints, it was very liturgical. We used very traditional worship. We did a Gregorian chant setting oh, of the I liturgy. I love those. I love those. But it wasn't conventional. So we did it totally in the round, you know, led by a drag queen. I mean, you know, it's like yeah. it wasn't conventional, but it was traditional. And so I'm really drawn to that 
myself. And the reason is, is because that the liturgy has been sort of worn smooth by generations of people before me and contains the wisdom, the practices, their pain, their joy in it somehow because it's been done for so long in that way. And so the liturgy, because of that, has an integrity of its own. And what and why that's important to me is it doesn't demand my integrity in order for it to be efficacious. That's meaningful to me. Yeah. And so if you're kind of just making up your own thing and taking a little from this and reading a little Thich Nhat Hanh and then taking a hot yoga class, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's half, I think when, half measures availed us nothing. It's is that okay. What it is? I mean, I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying there's something wrong. But I think when people are like, I'm spiritual, not religious, Mm -hmm. I think what they mean is like, I have curated a set of beliefs and practices in my life that give me a sense of well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. The thing I do wonder about it, though, is if, if that's your approach, are you going to curate the aspects that say, hey, think about giving away 10% of your income? Yeah. Oh, by the way, also pray for your enemies and forgive people and, you know, invite people to your home that are, you're uncomfortable with or whatever. Like, is it going to include shit like that? Unless it afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted, it might make you feel well, but it's not probably going to transform you. I agree with you. Becoming self-actualized through these three or four different things may work for some people. And I'm also nervous those things that you pointed out that I think, you know, being a cohesive member of a group can give you or help you find. Right. I have to ask the question that started this whole thing. So the whole reason I was ranting and the whole reason people suggested I talk to you, and I think rightly so, is you are a feminist. So the issue I raised is I was sitting in a meeting and there ha- I think it was at a church. So I was, I was looking at all this different religious stuff, right? And I was just looking around. I was looking at the Last Supper, right? I'm looking at this different thing. I'm looking at, it's like, Jesus is a dude. The apostles are all dudes. God doesn't have a wife. There's no woman involved. The, the only woman is this virgin. You know, she couldn't be accepted if she hadn't been a virgin. And then the other one is is Mary Magdalene. And she is a, a sex worker, right? Or something? No. no, not I got this wrong last time as well. No, Mary Magdalene was not a sex worker. Oh, who? She was con- she's conflated in the text with other women. So she did have uh, seven demons cast out of her. So she did have kind of a rough story. Uh-huh. Well, who were the sex workers you were referencing that he hung oh. with? Oh, there's lots of those. Okay. It's just not Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking around at all this stuff. And again, I don't have the knowledge of the Bible that I should even be speaking on it. But my understanding of it is basically, I was just thinking if I was a woman, this is identical to women sitting in a classroom where you look up on the wall and it's Abraham Lincoln and it's George Washington and it's Thomas Edison. And it's, like, where is your place in this? Like, to me, that that is such an indictment of how patriarchal history is, is is there's no place for you. How does a young girl sit in that classroom and aspire when there's no one there representing her? And I just got very critical of the religion is just like, who is the hero? Who's the female hero? And then I said that, and I got all these responses from people, understandably so, who are defending their faith. 
Well, you don't know about this woman. She was awesome. At Bindu, they listed five or six women, but I've never fucking heard of them. You know, maybe they know, yeah. maybe they exist. Out of like hundreds in the Bible. Yes, yep. I mean, it, it, would no. be, it would be crazy to ignore the lopsidedness of that book and the religion in general that the women, I don't know why my daughter would want to join that religion. And they For said, sure. you could answer that, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well. <laughs> well, fuck them very much, first of all. But um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's written from a male perspective. It's mostly uh, male characters. But for instance, who was Mary Magdalene? There was one person who was chosen to witness the resurrection and told to go and tell everyone else about it. That's Mary Magdalene. Oh, okay. She was told, go and tell. She's She is the apostle to the apostles. None of this shit would exist if she had not done that. Yeah, the most impressive thing was the resurrection, right? Yeah, I would say more that's than water pretty... into wine. I'd rather be able to rise from the dead than have wine when I wanted it. <laughs> well, now, but you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, in the past, I was actually choosing <laughs> exactly. death for the wine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Another thing about when we're talking about like, is something fact or is it true or what do you believe, the Enlightenment, all that stuff, is that there are a lot of liberal Christians who don't really believe in the resurrection like they're like no it, it was that his god consciousness was so complete that even after he died it felt like he was still with them you know they do this thing where they're like no because it's just silly to believe in something so anti-scientific right right i'm like i totally believe in the bodily resurrection uh. and the reason is is because the body is pretty important throughout the whole story. I don't want it to end with it suddenly being an idea. You know, the idea that God's in a human body and then God takes on a human body. And then his last supper, he's like, this bread is my body, like eat it. Like it's so disturbingly physical yeah. in like a super redemptive way for me that I don't want it at the end of the story for the body to just now be a feeling or an idea. I like the crazy thing about a resurrected. Sure, like, yeah. I'm, keep, I'm totally keeping it's up. It's the moment in <laughs> Sixth Sense where you realize Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. I mean, there's exactly no movie without what? that turn. That's right. So I, and I get why it seems super crazy to believe it. Uh, yeah, but I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I guess I'm more, yeah. I'm not fine with the lack of females in the religion. I'm not. And I don't know how everyone addresses that. But where is that not true? I agree with you, but we have the option of going forward, changing that and including and putting the pictures on the wall and putting in the classroom, sure. RGB and uh, all these people that deserve to be up there. Sure. You don't even have that option to my knowledge. You couldn't really decorate a church with all these women that are, are symbols of power. I don't know how you fix it with the, well, you already have a set of characters. Right, yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot more than people talk about in the Bible. Uh -huh. Like there's an awesome one, Yael was this woman who in the Old Testament and Judges where they were at war and there was a, like the captain of the army and they were trying to win the battle. And so she kind of like tells the captain of the army, she sneaks in his tent and she was like, hey, come in here. And he goes, what? <laughs> Ooh, he stumbles in like Stephen idiot. Yeah. And then she puts a tent stake through his head. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. Nice. I mean, why is... Why isn't she in the stained glass window? There should be a picture of her holding the stake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you make an effort in your congregation to, to shine a light on the women? It's actually an ethic. 
I mean, I have an ethic. So there's a set of assigned texts. It's called the lectionary. So every Sunday, there's a set of assigned texts. There's a Hebrew Bible. There's usually an epistle, a psalm, a gospel reading that uh, are assigned for the day. So I have an ethic as a preacher. If there's female imagery, I use it. If there's a female in the text, I preach on her. So I make, I actively make the choice. So the epistle a couple weeks ago, I posted a sermon, a video. My sermons are like eight minutes. Nobody's ever complained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're very short. I just posted where Paul is talking about, we know that, that the creation has been groaning in labor pains, right? It's this beautiful image of labor. So that's what I preached on. I mean, you have to look for it, but but there's so much there that's been so readily ignored. Yeah. Even spirit is is a female word. So I I almost always refer to the Holy Spirit as she. Oh, I like mm, that. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question, and it's it's mm. about accountability. Uh, both yeah. good and bad accountability. Dax has said we have some people in our lives that are very religious and they're beautiful, oh, They're the most beautiful people in our life. <laughs> by far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, by, leaps and bounds. <laughs> and sometimes I look at our friend and I think it is not fair that she is giving Jesus all the credit for her goodness oh. when she is a beautiful person. And it, I, and I'm sure Jesus, has, you know, plays a role, but all the credit's being given away. And I don't really think that's fair. And I think it happens on the, the tail side of the coin too, where it's like, mm -hmm. well, this was meant to be. And, you know, yeah. I think sometimes bad things. You were molested. Things, God wants you to forgive. Exactly. We don't need to take that person to court. And I just think this right. idea of accountability, and especially in the good things about you, like you should own right. those a little more. And yeah. Well, I guess I would never say like, if there's good in me, it's not me, it's Jesus. I get, I, But I would say it's my experience with God's terrible mercy. So I wouldn't say it, it's like Jesus, this character from thousands of years ago somehow has made me a good person. I would say I have experienced grace when I didn't deserve it so often in my life that there's something in me that shifts when that happens. So it, it, I didn't muster it up myself, right, you know, right. that there is something spiritual to it because I am kind of a garbage person mm -hmm. <laughs> like like left to my own devices I, I'm not like the self-generating goodness machine <laughs> you know yeah. there has to be a lot of other things put inside in order for the goodness to to come out it's there but in order for it to be activated it comes out in those ways so grace is like the thing I end up just talking about, you don't hear a lot of conversations about grace and because it's like basically offensive. <laughs> the idea that you would get something good that you didn't earn. It's the opposite you of know? karma, yeah. It's, yeah, totally. It, yeah, it's like, it's, it's kindness in spite of someone's actions, which is like right. the most inspira yeah, aspirational place you could be. You can't earn it. I mean, that's the weird thing in our society. To get something beautiful that not only you didn't earn, but you can't earn. That's just counterintuitive to us. But I describe grace as like, grace is like this freight train that delivers into my life all of the most beautiful, transformative, unearnable things. Yeah, see, and then here's where I'm totally relating to you. 
Because this is where like AA has given me children and all this stuff. That's right. Yeah. Like, so you think your virtue could earns the right to eat a perfect peach in summer? There's nothing. <laughs> that is grace. The fact that the sun comes up uh-huh. every, every day. My virtue can't pull that fucker up. There's so much grace around us. Yeah. And we seem completely obsessed with who's good enough, who's worthy, what are you earning? I mean, the whole debate right now about like, well, what if people are making that $600, that's more than they earn at their job. They're not going to get back to work. I'm like, the problem is they're underpaid, <laughs> not the fact that they finally have a living wage. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the last book I wrote was about sex and Christianity. I mean, it was like a complete, like, let's rework all these texts that have been weaponized against people. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and that's shameless. A sexual yeah, reformation. It's shameless. Have you ever heard of purity rings? Oh, this is one of my favorite things you've done. P- yeah, please tell us about this. <laughs> okay, so I interviewed people for a year and a half and just said, hey, what message did you receive from the church about like sex and the body, gender? And then how did that message affect you? And then how have you navigated your adult life? And there were so many stories about being given a purity oh. ring. By your father, may I add. Gross! Daddy, da- daddy daughter dances. Ew. And like, it, he comes with flower. Oh, it's Ugh. so creepy. Oof. Anyway, I, and my way of dealing with hearing all these stories was, you know, there's a thing in Isaiah about, uh, it's on the United Nations statue outside the United Nations that says that we will beat our uh, swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, right? So it's this idea of taking that which was weaponized against us and making the choice to transform it into something that could heal us. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so with that in mind, I instigated this art project where I invited women to mail me their purity rings. I had them melted into a sculpture of a vagina. And then I gave it to Gloria Steinem on stage at a feminist conference. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So that's cool. We read about her a lot to my daughters. So what is this dance in your church like uh, about premarital sex? But all, all that stuff about, about not having sex before marriage. When we were agrarian for a long time. Yeah. Before we were industrial, post-industrial, right? And so you had to kind of know who owned what, who was going to inherit what. And there was no reliable birth control. And so in a way, you could see how they're like, you know, you should probably keep that shit inside marriage. Just economically, it makes a lot more sense. And marriage happened about 40 minutes after puberty. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, these- Yeah, they weren't like right. trying to, like, they wasn't, there wasn't six years of being horny and meeting people at bars and saying no. Right, exactly, exactly. So it's just very, very different. I mean, I try and make a, make a case in the book for part of our spiritual wellness is sexual flourishing. And what does that look like? And how do we be honest with ourselves with what that looks like? And I started seeing it as like, I mean, it sounds, it, I don't know how to say it without it sounding kind of creepy, but like I wanted to know my parishioners, are they having good sex? Yeah, of course. Like, how is that not like a, a sort of, spiritual concern because I was married to some a very good man who who would never deserve for me to say anything bad about him because truly he's he's an amazing father great man 
but we had a sexless marriage and we had no intimacy at all. And I know what it's like to have that part of me completely shut down and at what cost. And that's what made me write this book because when I got together with Eric, who I'm with now, We've been together four years, but we'd only been together a couple of weeks when I had to go on tour to support the UK and the German version of one of my books. Uh-huh. So I was on the road for three weeks and we just had just amazing sex. For like, yeah. like, and I, you know, I had that dry spell for a long <laughs> sure. time and it was, and I was like, this is so good for me. Oh yeah. Like healthy. I felt like my heart was less shut off from other people, from the world, from myself and I had, all this stuff was stirring in me. And I was on walking through London and I was like, can you get on like Skype right now? And he goes, yeah. And I said, why do you feel like the church has tried to control sex for so long? And he's not Christian. And without skipping a beat, he goes, I just assume that the church saw sex as its competition, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, wow. and I was like, oh, I'm writing a book. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck that. I'm right. Like that was the moment. So it was an interesting thing to explore. I got in some trouble. Yeah, I was going to say, because you have bosses, right? Being officially associated with the evangelical Lutheran church. You have bosses, right? I have a bishop. Yeah. yeah. So do you do you ever get yeah. in trouble? Oh, not with him. He's one of the best men I've ever known in my life. Uh-huh. And I mean, he's known me for years before he was my bishop. And he believed in me and my voice when I was like still trying to piece together a college degree in my 30s. So Uh he's incredible. Actually, I was doing On Being, that Krista Tippett show on NPR Uh years ago, maybe six years ago. And someone's like, well, you like, you're super independent, maybe have an issue with authority, do your own thing, right? And I go, yeah, fair enough. He goes, but you're in a system under authority, kind of like you asked, right? And I go, yeah. He goes like, you have a bishop? And I said, yep. And he goes, Just tell us how you've navigated that. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm why we have bishops. Like somebody like me should probably have a bishop. Somebody should be looking over my shoulder Uh and going like, is she still on the yellow brick road? Yeah, yeah. Or is she taking these people into a field of poppies? Also, you think there's not a lot of potential problems with an intelligent, charismatic person starting a church. Exactly. That's gone wrong about 90% of the time. Correct. (laughs) That's why I'm saying this is one of the differences, you know, evangelicals, they don't have bishops. So if you have charisma... People are like, you have the anointing. Go and lead these people. Buy buy an arena. Exactly. And then there's so much harm that that ensues from that. So he will actually ask me, like, how's your soul? Has your ego just, like, destroyed you because of your career? How are you? Like, I'm glad I have someone looking over my shoulder. Now, his colleagues across the country were not so happy. (laughs) So, yeah. And the American conservative website, you know, wrote some fake news stories about me. Feminist pastor Nadia Boltzweber says pornography is ethical, you know, uh-huh, like a bunch uh-huh. of stuff. Yeah. yeah, sure. Just because I was like, I don't think we should just keep heaping on shame that people are already, like when people feel bad about the fact that they're turned on by pornography and maybe they have a little bit of compulsive behavior about it, why in the world would you heap shame on them? That seems like the last pastoral response in the world. It's already probably partly a response to shame. It is. Oh my God. When you take the shame part out of the equation, the compulsivity of it really lessens. You're so right. 
Well, Nadia, I really, really like you. I really do hope I get to go to a meeting with you. Next time we're in Denver, I'd love to go with you in person. Or, or we could go to church. Okay, I'll go to church. I, I, ain't, <laughs> I ain't scared. I've been in more church basements than... <laughs> well, that's that's why I also, people get a little upset with me when I'm speaking at church events. And I'll be like, let's be honest. There are people who are speaking honestly about their lives, connecting to God and to one another more frequently in our church basements than in our church sanctuaries. Let's just be honest. Also, AA isn't having committee meetings like, how can we get more members? Right. You know, they're not scared of their institutional demise in the way the church is. Well, the thing I think is just so incredible about AA is just like, how has there been a leaderless organization that has somehow thrived for 70 some years? It's, I mean, that's the, magic in my opinion it's beautiful it's because it insists on maintaining suspicion of all people yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's right well nadia thanks so much for your time and i really do want to talk to you again down the road so next time you write a book or something please come on here and tell us about it i'd love it so much thanks for having yeah, me yeah appreciate it was it. great all right. all right and now my favorite part of the show the fact check with my soulmate monica padman Whenever there's a problem around Adventure Bay, Monty and her team of pups come and save the day. Monica, Monica, be there on the double. 33-year-old Monica. Wow. How's your birthday week going? Good. What was your favorite present you got so far? You don't have to say mine. Well, I haven't gotten yours yet, so we could, we don't have to count it. That's true, but you looked at a picture of I'm it. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> so you got me a treadmill. We got you a treadmill, yeah, yeah. And I've been really wanting And you can take the, the handles on or off, like the yeah. top part. It, it, so it could just be flat. It stows, 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 stows. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's cool that you can do it under yes. a table? Isn't that neat? Yeah. I never saw that anywhere. Well, I'm just more thinking about you editing and like walking on the treadmill as you edit. Because you can be at a desk. Yeah, that's I, what I imagine. I need to look at it again. You think that's too much business to be doing, editing and? No, I think it'd be great. Yeah, because you could maybe just bang out like an hour of brisk walking. You you wouldn't even notice you did. It's so cool, and I've been wanting one so bad. Have you? I was out on a limb. You've never expressed a desire, but I thought you like to jog, and sometimes it's just too hot or it's inconvenient. I've been wanting one for a very long time. A decade? Probably. And I was like, there's no way I can have one in my apartment. Mm -hmm. Where would I put it? Mm -hmm. And that's been the huge issue this whole time. And now it's fixed. It would totally slide under your table. It's the best scenario. You put a rug over it under your table. I'm glancing at your table right now, imagining it. So there are arms you can put on it. Oh, yeah. They just, they lay flat next to it. And then you just crank them up when you want to so have cool. some support. It's yeah. so cool. I'm so excited. That's actually my favorite present. It is. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell everyone. How about your least favorite <laughs> present? We can just say the, what, the present you didn't like um, that you hated and the person who gave it to you. Jess. What did he give you? Fart? He gave me hair play. Which, oh, that was nice. Well, it was the, the only thing I asked for. Uh-huh. And he did give it to me, but... He doesn't know how to do it. And right. so he just shook my head a lot. He's never had a girlfriend with like long hair. I still appreciate that he tried. Yeah, he gave it a shot. Yeah. That was nice of him. <laughs> Speaking of, I mean, I'm afraid to tell the world about in case they steal my idea, but I have a business venture that I'm going to start 
which is a hair play studio. Oh, hair play studio. Yeah. yeah. I think that's genius. You've got all these immigrants in LA sure. that are doing much worse jobs than hair play. I.e. the foot massages. You know, because you're dealing with people's gnarly ass feet. They, they they let them soak in a bucket of water beforehand. Yeah. Maybe that's to get rid of the smell or whatever. But I got to imagine that that group of people that's currently doing foot massage would way rather do hair play. Well, yes and no, right? Easier on your hands. Easier on your hands, but your your head can get gross. Some people's heads are gross, yeah. There's scabs, there's ew. Uh, there's vermin. Ew! Yeah. Ew, 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 yeah. ew, ew, ew. Lice, okay. scabies. Stop. Okay. You're not allowed to come to this place if you have scabies or lice. I wonder if like when people got there, you could put them under what would look like one of those old fashioned hair dryers at the hair salons that the women would yeah, put this. your curlers and your permanent in there and then put that, that dome over their head. Yeah. If you could retrofit one of those with a big burst of UV light sure, that would sure. kill all the vermin. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. In the okay. scabies. I'll bring that in as a part of it. Okay. And there's probably going to be hair washing as part of it too. Hmm. Hmm. But then it, it doesn't feel as good, right? Yeah, yeah. Because then, and then you got to dry the hair quickly, like and a head of hair like yours, it takes a while. Like you took a shower, I'm guessing like two hours ago, and your hair is soaking wet right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I have some kinks to work out, but anyway, there's going to be a hair play. Well, like, a chain, like, a chain of them. Exactly, like a dry bar of sorts, but just for hair play, mm. because so often when I'm getting a massage, I want hair play. Mm-hmm. And I'll sometimes say, can I have a little extra on my head? Oh, uh-huh. And they'll say, sure. Yeah. And then they do, but it's not what I'm looking for. Okay. It's not hair play. I see a potential issue okay. with this venture. Okay. Which is like, if I were to be a cocaine distributor, it'd be a bad idea because I would do all the product. I'm a little nervous that if you own this shop, uh-huh. you're not going to be running it as much as just receiving hair play the whole uh-huh. day. Well, it's part of research and development. (laughs) Okay, so so you are going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you basically are going to need to get a second person involved to run it. I have a few people involved. Oh, you do? Already. Who else is involved? Um, Our friend Matt, the hairstylist. Oh, uh uh-huh. Sweet, sweet Matt. So sweet. He's a hairstylist in LA and he's really good. Yeah. And we have ideas about this. And also Carly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, can I make a suggestion? Like one of the menu items be lice check. And it's not an actual lice check. You're not looking for lice, but those long, silly um, Q-tips. Yep. um, That would be great for me. That's part of it, regardless. Oh, so it'd be like a suite of things and and among them would be the lice check. Yeah, but I don't think we should call it lice check because that sounds off-putting. We're going to have to call it like a hair needle. Oh, well, that's scary too. Needle, oh, hair shit. needle. Okay. But, um, hairpins. How about leprechaun check? Um, so it's like, sounds like something positive might come out of it. Oh, unicorn ugh, check. I don't like, want- we're going to go through your hair looking for a unicorn, okay. miniature unicorn. <laughs> By the way, everyone assumes that unicorns, if they existed, would be the size of, the, of a horse. But what if they were the size of a seahorse and they lived oh, in your hairdo? Oh, that'd be cute. It would. That'd be hair so corns. cute. Hair corn check. I mean, they fly around. That's a pegasus. Oh, unicorns don't fly? They don't have wings. They just have a big rod on the top of their head. Shit. Yeah. 
So a Pegasus is a unicorn that flies. Well, it's not a unicorn. It's a, it's a horse that flies. So what is a unicorn that flies? There are no flying unicorns. Oh my God, I'm going to invent that. Okay, great. That'll be another <laughs> so, business. I'm busy. Man. I have a lot going on. You're in a sweet spot of creativity <laughs> where like you, you're thinking of the, the things so quickly, you can't even flesh them out. Wow. You're like Edison. So Nadia. Did you check the facts? Is there a God? <laughs> yeah, obviously we're not going to check religious facts on this fact check. No. I think that's should go without saying. Yeah. You know what the my conclusion was? A, I really adore her. Yeah. It, also, it's like every kind of religious conversation you would have, although it was a peaceful one. It's just like, she believes that. I don't believe that. N no one's ever going to sway anyone. It's not the kind of thing I don't think that you, you're swayed one way or another. I imagine every arm cherry left this with the same opinion they had when they came in. Maybe. I, I would say this. I think for some people, if you believe that religion is bad. Oh, uh-huh. You might not believe that anymore after you listen to this. Right, you might right. see the value of some people believing in that and the lessons and the goodness that it can bring. Yeah. But if, if you already believe that, which we do. Yes. Well, which I do. Yes. Yes, I already believe that. And and I do think this is an area where atheists are unfair or cherry picking. Yes, some religion is terrible for people. There's many factions, the FDLS, the Mormon fundamentalists who are practicing pedophilia. You know, that's probably, but it's way too broad of a net. It's like saying... Uh, males are dangerous. Well, many males are very dangerous and many males are not very dangerous. Yep. And same with religion. It just includes way too many people to make any kind of assertion about them. Yes. But you can point to the history of how religion has, say, slowed down science, like by um, imprisoning Galileo mm -hmm. for having the audacity to suggest we revolve around the sun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think probably people's opinions on whether they believe in God are probably the same. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think her lessons and stories and her thoughts on religion are awesome. And I do think with atheism, my issue with atheism often is my issue with religion. It's the same issue that people are just trying to get everyone to believe what they believe. And I am totally fine with everyone believing what they want to believe. Yeah, I'm not trying to get anyone to believe like I know me. that. Yeah. But many atheists are. There's like a movement. I guess, yeah. I think in response to some of the religious motivated terrorism, it seems like, oh, we got to get people off this path. Like it feels existential in those moments. Right. I just disagree that it's the religion that's causing Yes, yes. The and I, I think terrorism. you brought me around to your side of things. Wow. I think, I think it's, I, I do also think it's, it's problematic to have as a concept in a religion, Agreed. a fatwa. I, I, I think that's a little dangerous because I agree. you're relying on God's input on who should be murdered. And I don't think that should be a part of any religion personally. I agree. Yeah. I asked a few things and I just don't feel like I got any answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just part of this. Mm -hmm. I'll add to that. There's lots of debates I love to try to win. Like, it's very fun to try to maneuver and bring up a fact or this and that. And I just don't have any motivation to, quote, win a debate. Yeah. So it was tricky in that way where there were points where I was just like, 
yeah, I just like this person a lot and I disagree with that notion that a God should tell you to murder your kid as a test of your love for the God. But then I'm going to leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. Well, there were some facts and one was, so she has Graves' disease. Yes. She said children don't get it, but obviously they do get it because she got it. I want to say a cousin of mine had it. In their youth. You can get it. It's just much less common in Mm. kids than adults. With this disease, the body makes antibodies that cause the thyroid gland to grow and to make too much thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. Hyper, hyperthyroid. Hypo's not enough and hyper's too Mm. much, right? I think so. I always try to remember that. I think that's right. By the way, you say hyperactive. Do you think you could say hypoactive? Like that would be me currently. I just sit. Yeah, we'll say hypoactive. I'm hypoactive currently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's so hypoactive. People would think you were saying hyperactive. No, because you say it like this. He's like hypoactive. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Good read. <laughs> oh, can I bring up something unrelated? Uh-huh. I noticed that our new friend Bill Gates had a lot of comments oh. on the post, right? And um, I had not read any of them because it was a busy week with the surgery and then also working all week. So I glanced at them last night. Wow. Did the freaks come out? for that. What do you mean? Oh my gosh. I am totally naive to how many, well, this is a twofold thing. I do think at least half of them are Russian bots. Oh yeah. And for people who don't know, there's a New York Times article about this. It's really important to know that Russia's goal is to sow dissent among us. They want us to fight. That's their singular goal. They don't really have a position on any topic other than they like to isolate things that are divisive divisive, and then to stoke them on social media. And so just listen, even if you're an anti-vaxxer, that's fine for you. Um, But just know that Russia is stoking the anti-vaxxing movement. They are very much behind it. And they clearly have to be behind this QAnon thing, which I can't even comprehend this conspiracy theory. As I understand it, it's that there's this elite ring of pedophiles, um, yeah, including actors, yeah, yeah, celebrities. And there's like blood. Isn't there like a blood thing? Like you eat their blood or something? Oh, okay. For youthful skin think, or something? I think there's something about blood. So th- there was a smattering on BG's comment section about their pizza symbols, which is like the Pizzagate. It's a QAnon thing. So you've got- yeah. I don't know if it's hundreds of people or it's dozens of people with hundreds of accounts. Yeah. I don't know how much is Russia, but I will say, wow, if it represents an actual number of people who believe that there's a celebrity ring of pedophilia, I'm so nervous for those people. I was pretty shocked. I'm like, oh, there's some people that are really hanging on by a thread to reality. I, I would say, I mean, I didn't look, so I don't know. I would say whatever the percentage is, is not representative. Oh, of our listener base. You well, mean? definitely of our, of the, of people. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It's 0.0001%. However, I personally know a couple people who believe it. That believe in Q and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And so they're real people. What active imaginations they have. I'm almost jealous. Like when I imagine, like, uh, what is it? Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have some big, mind you, both the guys are very old. They're, (laughs) (laughs) the notion that they're hypersexual, not hypo, is its own. Like, wow, you're really. They're saying that? Oh, Oh. well, yeah, Bill Gates is part of this. Ring of pedophilia. Yeah, you can. Oh, my God. 
Oh, yeah, man. and uh, their silver bullet is, um, he was on an Epstein flight. And I was like, yeah, guess what? Thousands of people were on Epstein flights. Yeah. I've interacted with tons of people that certainly have crazy secrets. Yeah. It doesn't make me complicit in their- No, it does not. Yeah, it's bonkers. It is, it is bonkers. I'd really like to have an expert on, mm. on conspiracy theorists. I would too. Because it's a psychological thing. I have my own theory on it. And I've tracked uh, someone close in my life who their interest in conspiracy theories ebbs and flows, right? And and I've noticed that it, it seems to be highest when this person feels the most rejected from society mm. or from the system that seems to be benefiting other people and not them. So I think there's a huge correlation of people who feel excluded from the system. Yeah. And then once they feel that way, then obviously the system must be conspiring to exclude them. Um, my big issue with people with conspiracy theories is tell three people in your life a secret that you actually trust. Yeah. And see how long that takes before that secret gets to everyone in the group. It'll get to everyone in the group within two weeks. And that's people that you love and trust. Yeah. Now add in these conspiracies that involve thousands of people, but nobody tells anyone and no one goes to the paper. Yeah. And you just can't keep secrets that well. Yeah. I, I think that's a generous view of it. I feel obligated to imagine this is someone that maybe I would have loved. I think there must be an emotion at the bottom of it that I feel bad for. I'm sure there is. I just don't know. And kind of like your terrorist point of view, which I think is evolved and correct, which is instead of like proving to the terrorists that they're misguided. Totally. Yeah, create the environment by which they would want to choose a different life. I totally agree. So I don't think me telling the QAnon people that they're fucking insane yeah. uh, will be helpful. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. That's why, yeah, I think having an expert on to explore that psychology is interesting. And I think your theory is generous. The people I'm talking about are objectively not excluded from anything. Now, they may believe they are. That's, well, that's the, the different tricky. thing. There's people that are successful and yet still s feel, I'm not saying they are, but they feel excluded from yeah. something. It's also interesting, the people that I'm talking about, I enjoy very much. Mm, yeah. As people. Mm -hmm. I enjoy their company so much. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to reconcile. Yeah. I guess also what makes it a little scary is if, you believe in something that crazy, I'm nervous that your behavior and response to that might be equally insane. I guess it's like, if you believe in that, then I'm a little nervous about all your decision-making. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so the Jefferson Bible, I wanna read you a little piece on this. Oh, great. 50 years to the date after signing the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson died. On July 4th, 1826, just hours before the death of his fellow signer, John Adams. Yeah, that's a crazy weird coincidence. If you read the John Adams McCullough book, it's really great. But those two were pretty much enemies. Yeah. And they they had all these weird parallels. They died on the same day. They did, they did a that's bunch crazy. of- Yeah, a bunch of eerie stuff. But six years earlier, Jefferson completed a 84-page manuscript he called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Gleaned from the four gospels of the New Testament and Jefferson's private work. It remained unknown until his great-granddaughter sold the manuscript to the Smithsonian. In 2011, the Smithsonian undertook a challenging restoration project of the fragile document in what is now known as the Jefferson Bible. It was presented to scholars and the general public at the Smithsonian Albert H. Small Documents Gallery. 
Maybe I would love that version. Maybe. I need to read something positive about him because I've only read really negative stuff and I, I dislike him, despite his genius. Clearly a great writer. But yeah, a, a real pedophile traveling abroad with a, a slave, 14 or 15-year-old girl. This is where the argument that everyone makes, including myself, and it's real, about that was a different time. That was a different time when men did this. And mm -hmm. that was a different time when race was this, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's true. We have to let people evolve and mm -hmm. we have to let people match up to society and not apply the standards of now to the past. Right. But- Thomas Jefferson was a pedophile, mm -hmm. but at but that time- 13-year-olds had babies all the time. So then is it fine? Well, I, I would say that what you have to acknowledge is that in that time, he wasn't traveling through Europe and people were like, what the fuck's he doing with this 14-year-old girl? They weren't. It, exactly. was, it wasn't news. And, you, you know, I think there's a lot of ways you have to evaluate it. One would be like, Let's say, let's just say for shits and giggles, uh, people drank mercury as a cure-all back then mm -hmm. because they, with the the best knowledge they had, that was a good idea. Well, now we would look at that and go, that's insane, that's poisonous. But it would be wrong to say that person was stupid because they weren't stupid in the day. Yeah, so it's a tricky thing because, like, are we saying that's okay for the time? I mean, it kind of, I guess, was, but it's it's not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it more should be like when those things are brought to light, it should be a moment to reflect how much we've evolved in thank yes. goodness and thank how misdirected we were for a great majority of the time we've been here as we are currently misdirected, yeah. which will be revealed later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, agreed. I'll tell you what's not going to reverse is how good you look in orange. Oh my gosh. That's, that's never, they're never going to- Are you gonna, sure? Yeah, in 3052, they're never going to look back and go, oh man, can you believe back then that was an okay color for her to wear? They're still going to go, great color for her. Actually, no, because what if QAnon is real and uh -huh. this is the color of it? Oh. And then they're going to look back and say, oh, she was involved, she knew, she wore that color, she's bad. Yeah. Well, they'd be wrong. I guess they could still say, but she looks good in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the pen that presidents use called an auto pen, and it's a sh signing machine that does the automatic signing of a signature or autograph. Mm. It says many celebrities mm. use it, so we should look into getting one. Well, you know, Kristen has this book. Ben and Kristen's book, The World Needs More Purple People, part of the deal is she has to sign. Oh, I know. I know what it thousands. Oh my god! There's a pallet of the books in our garage. Yeah. And every time I see her signing it or even look at the pallet, I get filled with anxiety of how I I just I couldn't sign my name that many thousands of times. Yeah. And so I thought if I ever wrote a book, I would want to negotiate that I don't have to do that. And Kristen uh -huh. was like, "You have to because they sell them at stores." Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I would then need to get a stamp. Or now I'm learning there's a Auto machine. Pen. It says they range from 2000 to 10000 I'll take the $2,000 one, please. Okay. A lot of presidents have used it. Bush, Obama, yeah. Trump. I'm sure Trump does not use it because he probably gets a lot of- um, This is not political, but I've seen his signature. It's pretty. Well, A, it's pretty. It looks yeah. like calligraphy, but also there looks like there's way too many letters in it. For Donald J. Trump, oh, really? when I've looked at it, it looks like there's like 35 
to 60 letters in it. Oh. I'm like, what are all those letters? Signature. Yeah, look at it. I remember watching him sign one thing and I thought, what, how many oh. names does he have? Doesn't it look? Yeah, it looks like it's odd. It's very vertical. Yeah, and I don't know. There looks to be way too many letters in there for yeah. to spell Donald J. Trump. It kind of, look, I don't want to give him any praise ever. It's a gorgeous signature. I don't, I don't, that signature doesn't, I like it. Yeah, it's nice. This goes back to Thomas Jefferson, you know. Of course it's right to bring up the fact that he had all these indiscretions. He was also a great writer and he helped frame something that somehow has lasted for 400 years. It's relevant to acknowledge that. Yeah. Similarly, Trump has a beautiful signature. <laughs> no two ways around it. Okay, the Sean Hayes play is an act of God. An act of God. That was crazy that she brought up a play I actually saw because uh -huh. I've only seen, what, eight or ten in my life? Max. Maximum. I'd say maximum mouse. Um, that's all. That's all? Yes. Good job on the facts, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you. Love you.